something on me and bringing back to me a, a, a memory from my own my own childhood. And I usually take that as, as as some sort of word. I don't know how God speaks to you, but I figured out a long time ago how God speaks to me. Uh, and it's usually in pictures because I'm thick. And, uh, you know, if you put it in a picture, someone will look at it. You know, it's like a book. It's got a lot of pictures. I'll read it. Um, but uh, basically, this is this is what the, the thought I was having in my in my mind this morning. And it has to deal with spiritual warfare. And um, as a as a young man, one of the things you might not realize is I was not very big. Yep, yep. I was not very big, and I was a punching bag for a lot of people for a long time. And um, what I realized very quickly was learning to fight was pretty useless because learning how to punch with an arm that doesn't go anywhere you can just hold my head and I can't it's it doesn't it doesn't work so there was actually no way to learn how to defend myself so when it comes to fighting I had to I had to learn something different and I, I learned something very very important in a, in a typical fight I'm not going to win it's just a normal thing so I had to learn something very important I had to learn what are called pain moves and it was basically how to get a hold of someone in a way that caused them the most amount of pain in the least amount of time and caused the least amount of damage. And the idea was really simple. Convince them they couldn't win. And just stop the fight. And I got very good at it. I've always had a lot of upper body strength, so convincing people that it was not worth fighting became a natural way of life. And when I became a Christian, I started realizing that that was a really interesting picture of how the devil does spiritual warfare. You see, on a fair fight and level playing ground, the devil can't beat you because there's Jesus in you. But what he can do is cause you enough pain so you stop fighting. So I don't know who needs to hear that today, but you're in pain and you're wondering if the fight is worth it because you're convinced, you're beginning to be convinced you can't win. But the reality is, you just have to remember something. Your enemy cannot defeat you. He can't. The devil already knows he can't win this fight. He already knows he's lost. All he can do is convince you to stop fighting. So don't listen. Just don't listen. Exactly. <laughs> Christy's going, la, 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 la. Yeah. So keep going. That's completely disconnected from today's message, but there you go. Um, so we are continuing on in our series, Unprogressive, Returning to the Cross of Christ. And um, I'm sorry, no hamburgers today. For those of you who weren't here last week, it was a very tasty message. Um, <laughs> uh, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, I listened to the message last. I always, I always listen to him because it's a form of torture. And... Um, I couldn't believe how loud the grill sizzle was in my microphone uh, on it, but it was it, it was kind of fun. Um, so, what I'm going to be doing? I've been asked a couple of different times, why are we why are we doing this? Um, are we being mean? Um, you know, is this is this unfair to uh, to people? Are we are we becoming the accuser of the brethren? That that kind of thing. And, and honestly, those are va- those are valid questions. And what I want to remind people of is, it's not this is not the goal of what we're doing. When I name individuals, because you have to. Um, the people who are leading this this movement, you got to identify who they are because you need to know who you're dealing with. When we're talking about individuals, I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm not talking about their relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about what they're teaching. So we are not called to judge someone 
worthy or unworthy of God. But we are called as Christians, we are called to be discerning and to examine what people are teaching. Remember in Acts, Paul said that the Bereans were more noble because they would listen to everything he had to say and then they would go back and search the scriptures for themselves to make sure it was there. He referred to them as more noble and that's exactly what we're doing. And what we're looking at and what we're examining is the progressive Christian movement and we're comparing it to what we're going to call historic biblical Christianity. Historic biblical Christianity. What I mean by that is what Christians have always believed. From back, way back in the first century, what has the Christian church always been founded upon? What have they always known to be true? What have they always committed them, th- themselves to in the faith? What are the unmovable, unchangeable foundational doctrinal principles that we need to base our faith off of? Because what we're going to find is this movement tries to eliminate all of them. I mean, literally almost all of them. It's a completely different thing. It's what's called a false Christ. Makes you look good, makes you feel good, but really it's just plant-based hamburger, right? It's got no cow in it. It's got nothing. It's not worth anything. So remember, the two passages that will be guiding us in this is Second Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies. Remember, we talked about what that was last week. Even denying the Lord who bought them. They're denying Christ as Lord. And they bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, and because of whom the way of truth is blasphemed. And then Colossians 2, 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, meaning human reasoning, and not according to Christ, which we could equate to biblical reasoning. So don't let yourself get taken apart by good human reasoning, but stay firm on biblical, Christ-centered, gospel reasoning. Now, the two competing views that we're talking about can be boiled down to two very simple statements. Historic Christianity is that Christianity is the same today as it was in the days of Jesus, which kind of goes along with the Bible. I'm the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Always. Jesus says, I'm the Lord. I do not change. God doesn't, God has never like had an original thought. Have you ever thought about that? You've never been praying to God and God was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you say? I had never even thought about that view. Oh my God, I'm going to change everything about the gospel now because of what you just said. No, God has never been in that situation. He uses just shaking his head going, he'll figure it out eventually. And that's the historic Christian view. And then the progressive view is that Christianity is constantly moving and changing through the centuries. And today is just another one of those moments of change. That's progressive Christianity. But the Christianity of hundred years ago, it's not the Christianity of today. The Jesus of the first century is not the Jesus of, of today. You can't say that Jesus would call XYZ bad, even though he did throughout all of scripture. It's, it's important to understand these things. Now, each of these views have very serious effects on the direction of your life and the direction of your faith. 
And if you're not sure which view you have, if you're not sure whether or not you fall into the progressive Christian camp or the historic biblical Christian camp, you have to ask yourself one very simple question, and it will bring that, bring that answer to light. How much authority does the Bible have in your life? If your answer is not total, total authority, then you're in the progressive, progressive Christian camp. Because you see, if the Bible is literally the word of God, which is what it claims to be, which is what we're going to be talking about today. If it is, then there are no suggestions in here. There's no book of first and second opinions. You know, the, the Psalms and Proverbs are not maybes and wish it would work that ways. If this is the word of God to man, then this is the only absolute unchangeable authority in our life about everything that it talks about. <laughs> yeah, but you, you've never had Christmas with my relatives. I'm sorry, holiday with your relatives. I don't care because Jesus says, if you won't walk away from your whole family for me, then you're not, then you don't love me. He did say that, by the way. He's not, see, the Bible, the Bible's not kidding and God is not kidding Jesus is not kidding when he says, I am the only way. That's it. There is no hope I squeak through. There's only one way, and that's his way. So if your answer is, well, I believe the Bible in most things, but you know, there are some people with really good arguments. You need to be really careful because you're slipping into a false faith. And that's... Folks, this is really hard to, to, to get a hold of because we're told in the end days, the bulk of the church, not some of the church, the bulk of the church is going to walk away from the truth willingly. And the reason that they do is because the doctrine that we find in Scripture is too hard in our present day circumstances. And if that doesn't ring true for today, I don't know when it would. This is what's this is the, the thing that we're that we're dealing with. So all pro, pro, progressive and doctrinal theological views have the same foundational issue. They have the same foundational premise that all of them are founded on, and that is a low view of Scripture. First and foremost, the number one issue that you have to know and understand about the progressive argument is they have a very low view of Scripture. Scripture is not the word of God, it's a word about God. And you'll hear that argument. Some of them might even say, oh, I believe the Bible is inspired, but they don't mean inspired the way we mean inspired. Okay? So the Bible is not, they don't believe that the Bible is timeless. They do not believe that the Bible is inerrant, which means it contains no, nothing wrong. It is all truth. And they do not believe that it is applicable to all humanity for all time. They believe the Bible had its place, but that place is not today. So we can learn about the Bible. We can learn about God by reading the Bible, but you don't have to do do all of that stuff, that repentance stuff. Come on. Just be nice. You know, why can't we all get along? Uh, Because we can't all get along. Some of you don't like black olives, and I, I don't understand I don't understand you. So anyway, but moving right along. 
every kid should have the joy of putting black olives on all their fingers and then walking around like they have eyeballs on their hands and then eating them because that's something that we do. Not that I still do that today. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's a tea pan puppet. It's just the way it works. Um, you see, the way, what, they, what they believe and what they teach is that because of the early church's limited intellectual capabilities, and I'm not making this up. These are their statements. Because of the early church's limited intellectual capabilities and their limited understanding of the world, of humanity, of sexuality, see, they just did the best that they could. So they couldn't have had their real time. I mean, they may have, I mean, you know, granted the apostles like lived and walked with and were taught by Jesus himself. They really didn't understand what he was really saying. They, they, <laughs> come on. I mean, obviously today, 2000 years removed from the life of Christ, we have a better understanding about humanity and sexuality and what God really means than the people who actually walked with the son of God themselves. I mean, obviously, right? They believe that the Bible contains a lot of errors. And there's a lot of things that are just wrong uh, because it was written by people and people are flawed. And today, because of our higher intellectual understanding, we can uh, understand what they couldn't have understand even though they were being taught by Jesus himself. Now, when progressives say, I believe that the Bible is inspired, what they're actually saying is they believe that the Bible is inspired like um, the song Amazing Grace was inspired. Or that the books, the Narnia Chronicles, were inspired. Like that kind of inspiration. I just felt inspired to write this song. It's so amazing. And they believe that the inspiration behind the Bible is makes the Bible a word about God, but not God's literal words. And that distinction is so unbelievably important to our faith. It opens the door to every decision that you're going to make. If the Bible is not the literal word of God, then it is simply the suggestion of men. And if it is the suggestion of men, then it's going to contain errors. It's going to be wrong and it's not going to be applicable to my life. So that's where you get the group of people who believe I'm just going to listen to the word to the spirit within, not the word on the page. See, because if I have the Holy Spirit within me, then it's always going to tell me the truth, right? I would never lie to myself, right? I lie to myself every time I go golfing. I can make that shot. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure I can, yeah. I used to play basketball. Think I don't lie to myself, right? We all do. And that voice within you only has one check and balance. It's the word of God. It's actually what the Bible tells us to do when the voice within is leading us to check it against the word of God. If it doesn't line up, then don't listen. You see, if the progressive Christian movement allows the word of God to be the word of God, then it creates problems for them. Now think about this. If the Bible is the word of God, then suddenly, if you think, think, there are certain behaviors and there are certain lifestyles that are now sin 
without our permission for them being sin. This is, these are their views. Suddenly, God gets to determine sin without our consent. There are things that are absolutely, unequivocally, irrevocably wrong in the eyes of God. And we can be certain about that because it would be written. Because the written word is unchangeable, unmovable, unshakable. So if the, if the Bible is suddenly the word of God, then what it says stands regardless of my personal opinion about it. How dare God believe he can make decisions about humanity without my input? Because obviously my reasoning is equal to God's. After all, I've done been educated. And by doing that, from the progressive movement, it's what they call committing the sin of certainty. See, certainty is a sin because you can't be certain about anything. Because if you're certain about something, all of a sudden, and you think about this, if you're certain about right and wrong, if you're certain about good and evil, if you're certain about sin and righteousness, then you have this thing interjected into your life called Standards, universal, irrevocable standards that you will now be judged by, whether you agree or not. Suddenly, God is the one who determines who goes to heaven and who don't. And we don't have anything to say about it. Do you believe the audacity? behind the creator of the universe to have that kind of view. This is how they put this argument out. They, won't, they don't want to have anything to do with it. For the progressives, the scriptures are open to change. The terms of our faith are open to be redefined. And they are not, a, not applicable to humanity for uh, all humanity for all time. See, just because... The first century church thought something was bad does not mean that it's bad today. Just because a certain lifestyle was considered sexually immoral and irredeemable to God does not mean that that same sexually immoral lifestyle is irredeemable today. This is the view. The problem is you have to let go of the scripture to get to that view. You have to let go of the word of God to get to that view. And that's dangerous because when we tell someone in those lifestyles, you're totally acceptable to God. God completely embraces all of, the, all of you. He loves you just the way you are. He doesn't need you to change. We are now putting ourselves in the position of a teacher who will be held more responsible for what we're teaching other people. I can't even, believe, I can't even warn you enough how dangerous that is. When we're not speaking truth, we're not teaching truth. This is the issue. You see, they would say in John chapter 3, when Jesus says you must be born again, he's, he's not really talking about being born again in the spirit. He's just talking about you need to become go from being a bad person to being a good person. But when he says that he who does not believe in me is already condemned, he doesn't, he's not talking about hell. Hell doesn't exist. Hell is, 
your in-laws at Thanksgiving. But you see, in order to get there, you have to let go of the Bible. Today, some of the leaders in the progressive movement, like Tony Jones, Rob Bell, Richard Rohr, what they teach is that if God is good, then we all go to heaven. Because if we don't all go to heaven, then God isn't good. Now, from human reasoning, that sounds good, doesn't it? Until you also realize that God is just. And God is fair. And God is righteous. But you see, you have to get rid of the Bible to get to where they are. They've decided that in order for God to live up to their human reasoning of what good and what bad is, then everyone's got to go to heaven. Because that's how they define good. Because today, our understanding of God has progressed beyond the limited views of the early church. Especially those limited views you find in that old, tattered writing that people have sitting around their house collecting dust called the Bible. You'll hear things like this. The Bible was written by humans, so of course it's flawed. The Apostle Paul was an angry little man, and of course he was wrong about all kinds of stuff. Or that the Bible may contain good things about God, but of course it's not the word of God of God. It's not the literal word of God. It's not like the Bible claims to be the word of God. Does it? We'll get to that in a minute. When you hear things like this, what you know is you're dealing with someone who's been drinking the progressive Kool-Aid. And uh, as a biblical Christian, it is our responsibility. It really is our responsibility to help them bring the scriptures back to the right place in their life. To help bring the authority of the scripture back to the right place in their life. And that is total, unapologetic authority. That's where God's word has to be for us. So as Christians, how do we go about battling this first issue? How do we do this? And the answer is really simple. We learn the truth. (laughs) Sounds simple, doesn't it? Uh, In the... um, uh, I think it's the Secret Service. They're responsible for taking care of counterfeit, counterfeiting in the United States. And they, they travel, and, and, and uh, when government officials are taught how to spot counterfeit bills, they're only taught really one way, by continually examining the real thing. They spend all their time around the real thing. So if you spend all your time around the real thing, a fake is easy to see. It's very, very easy to spot. You know, it's like people who spend all their time around certain types of cars, and then you see a knockoff, and they go, no, 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 I can tell you that's fake already. Well, how do you know? Well, look at the bumper. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Yeah, the bumper's all wrong. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. The curve is one degree off. Gotcha. I'm, I'm totally convinced. But they know the real thing so well that the, the fakes don't fool them. They can see him a mile away. But, you know, in 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible tells us this. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And this is, a, this is a call to all Christians, not just people in ministry. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Do this with meekness and fear. And uh, I've talked about this before. That term meekness and fear does not mean meekness and fear towards them. It's meekness and fear towards the word of God. We approach the word of God with meekness. And we approach the word of God with fear knowing that we are going to be responsible for how we handle it. That's meekness and fear. I'm touching the timeless, inerrant word of God, and I'm sharing it with somebody else. I need to handle this thing correctly and know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be held more responsible because I'm sitting in the position of a teacher. So God is going to judge me not just based on my own life, but what I teach other people. Meekness and fear. But I always got to be ready to give an answer. And those of you who've been in the church for a little while, you know one of the answers that is completely unacceptable for a Christian is just trust in Jesus. Now, that sounds very unspiritual. Well, let me put this into context. My wife is leaving me and I got an alcohol problem. Just trust in Jesus. I've got family members who have gone over to the homosexual lifestyle. I don't know what to do. Just trust in Jesus. I'm being tempted by alcoholism. I think I'm falling into drugs. I think I might be, I think I might be, be borderlining on an affair. I don't know what to do. Just trust in Jesus. So that makes us feel great, but what a useless thing to tell someone who's hurting, who's come to you for help, for answers. And when we don't have them, we lean on spiritualisms that make us feel good. Boy, I ministered to several people today who are going through really difficult times in their life. Wow, what'd you tell them? Told them to just trust in Jesus. Did you help them? Well, I don't know. They need to trust in Jesus. What does Jesus tell us to do himself? You find someone that's hungry, give them something to eat. You find someone that's cold, give them something to wear. Stop playing, Christian, and start taking your faith seriously. You should have answers, especially if you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you still have a hard time identifying some books, whether or not they're old, old or New Testament. John 3, that's one of the Gospels, right? Was that Jesus' brother? Huh? We should know how to answer these. But I, I know churches, all, I've, I've been to many churches that are more concerned with speaking in tongues and activating the gifts of the Spirit in people than they are in teaching people how to intelligently talk to someone about the gospel, Jesus, sin, and redemption. And the funny thing is, Matthew chapter 7 tells us that chasing after spiritual gifts without chasing after the relationship first is useless. What does he say? Many will come to me on that day and say, did I not prophesy? Did I not heal? Did I not do miracles? And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. Go to the bad place. He's not concerned with the level of spirituality in your life. He wants to know who you are. And that's what we teach people. That's where we bring people. That's what, that's our job. You got churches whose foundation classes are based on what it means to be a good fill in the blank for the denomination here. Come to our foundations class and learn what it means to be a good Baptist, to be a good Pentecostal. Come and learn what it means to be a good charismatic. That way you can preemptively judge everyone who doesn't attend one of our churches. That's not what foundations classes are for. They're supposed to be about the foundation of what it means to understand the Bible and follow in the word of God. It's got nothing to do with what church you go to. I got news for you. I've said this before. Jesus wasn't Catholic. Jesus wasn't Protestant. Jesus wasn't Mennonite. 
Jesus wasn't charismatic. (laughs) Jesus was the son of God. We put labels on everything else. He didn't. I love when Joshua is getting ready to head towards battle and he stands in front of the angel of the armies of God and the angel turns around to him and he says, whose side are you on, ours or theirs? And he says, no. (laughs) Neither. I'm on his side. That should be our battle cry at the same time. Many Christians today are very happily happy with their biblical ignorance. They're very happy with their biblical ignorance. They're more concerned about going to a church where the building looks good. They don't want to go to a comfortable place. Not too hot, not too cold. Bathrooms in convenient locations, good snacks. Right? They want a pastor that looks the part. You know, tall, thin, deep, deep V t-shirt, skinny jeans. No. Just want to point that out. You want to go to a church where the music is good, it's lively. I like that. But I've also had amazing worship experiences in Africa with people playing drums on the end of a bucket. Their cymbals are old saw blades. You know, there's no problem with that. They want a message that tells them that they're going to heaven and doesn't require anything of them. Or require them to change their ways. They want their best life now. And they want a church that's always on the correct side, at least in their view of the current social issues, because the last thing we want to do is be politically incorrect. Lord, help us if we speak anything that is not socially acceptable. If I could only say socially acceptable things, I would be very, very quiet. Very, very quiet. Today's message is, have a good day. You can't open the Bible without offending someone. Some people get offended just because of the fact you're using the Bible. How dare you use the Bible so literally in church? Oh, okay. So that's, a, that's the progressive side of this. Now I want to give you the very short version of the historic Christian side of this. I'm not going to belabor this because I, I know I have a tendency of speaking very long. Uh, I'm a pastor. It's a gift. The early church had a very simple set of core beliefs. Um, and you're dealing with people who predominantly couldn't read and those who could read didn't, couldn't necessarily read a lot because um, things, di- things were in different languages. You may have grown up as a Hebrew in a Greek village and maybe you learned to read Greek, but maybe you didn't learn to read Old Hebrew. So there, there are issues. So what the early church would do is they would use these things called creeds. Okay, they were using them called creeds. I'm not talking about the character from the office. We're talking about an a, actual creed. And what a creed was, was it was something that you would, could, could remember that would teach you theology. So some of you may have heard creeds and not even know it. So um, we're going to play a quick song by Rich Mullins, and it's actually titled The Creed. And I'm going to tell you where that song comes from. Um, and we're only going to play probably the first 10 or 15 seconds. I'll let you know when it's off. But go ahead and, and, and play that. Oh, turn it up. <laughs> That's good. So you see that first part? 
I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and maker of earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. See, these were creeds. That song, he didn't write that. That song was a first century creed taught to the church so that new Christians would understand the foundational theological truths of their faith. Hey, what do we believe? Well, we believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven, maker of earth. We also believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. See how this was very, very common. Now, one of the earliest creeds that you will, that you will find is actually in our Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you and then tell you where it comes from. Because Paul did not write this. He is simply reiterating this to the church. This creed, I told you I was going to read it and then tell you where it comes from. I'm going to tell you where it comes from first. This creed can actually be traced back to a few months after the ascension of Christ. This is how important this truth is to the early church. It's one of the first creeds they formed. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declared to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen to this. This is where the creed steps in. It says, for I delivered to you first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried in, and, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the first creed the first century church put out to everyone And it was known by everyone because these are the irrevocable truths of our faith. That Jesus died for our faith, for our sins, according to the scriptures. So important that we understand those things. The three truths we have to remember from that is that Jesus paid the price for our sin. This is called substitutionary atonement. We'll get to that down the road. But that Jesus paid the cost of our sin On our behalf, he paid the price we were unable to pay. Secondly, that he rose from the grave, physically rose from the grave, not spiritually rose from the grave. It wasn't a metaphor. Jesus died, went to the grave, and then I could feel him afterwards. His spirit rose up and was just in me. No, he showed up. He showed up. He was like, put your hand in here. That's cool, right? Look, it's like... So some of you are just like, I cannot believe he just did that. But you'll remember that the whole day. What'd you do in church today? I don't know. Pastor was pretending to put his hands through holes in his wrist. He was here physically, not metaphorically. And both of those things happened in according, in accordance to scripture. And this is one of the fundamental truths that the Bible itself foretold all of it. That the scriptures on their own told us what was going to happen, how sin was going to be paid for. They told us all about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. They told us when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, how long it was going to last. All of that. And because we can trust that, we can trust the rest. That's what they're trying to teach. Because the first part was true, 
the rest of it is true. God didn't lie to us before. He's not lying to us now. And he's not lying about what he promised. It's all true. The very first things that they tried to teach early Christians. Over 2,000 times, the Bible claims to be the very word of God. Whenever you read something like, thus saith the Lord, or uh, hear the word of the Lord, that is the Bible claiming to be speaking the word of God. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. What is that word again? All. Not most, not some, not kind of, not the portions you agree with. All. Is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus tells him, tells us himself the value of scripture. When he's arguing with the Jews in John chapter 5, in verse 46 and 47, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He's arguing with these people, and he says, I don't judge you for your ignorance, but there is one that does judge you. It's Moses. See, if you would have believed what he wrote, those are the scriptures, you would believe what I'm saying. But here's what we do. Here is a truth that exists within the church today. We don't believe what it says. Goes back to the original question. How much authority does this have in your life? If the answer is not total, then it might as well be none. We don't believe what it says. And half the time we don't believe what it says because we don't know what it says. We have 10 of them. We've read half of one, (laughs) right? One of the terms you hear in progressive Christianity a lot is called exvangelical. Exvangelical means they used to be an, uh, an evangelical, but now they're not. Every one of the leaders in the progressive Christian movement used to be an evangelical Christian. Now, just so that you know, you're an evangelical if you're sitting in this room, if you believe in the Lordship of Christ. Evangelicalism basically is defined like this. Evangelicalism, evangelical Christianity, or evangelical Protestantism is a worldwide transdenominational movement within the Protest- within Protestant Christianity that maintains that the gospel consists of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's atoning work on the cross alone. Basically meaning there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. Jesus had to do it, and you have to accept him. That's evangelical Christianity. They don't believe that anymore. And there are a lot of big name people who are in this boat now. If you remember, the artist used to be known Gunger. Him and his wife left the church. Now they're universalists. They became ex-evangelicals first. Uh, one of the former singers for DC Talk is now an ex-evangelical. Well on his way to universalism. Because now he's listening to Rob Bell, Tony Jones, Richard Rohr. Now, in an interview, one of the things that he said was one of the reasons that he went to them was because they had answers. They have the wrong answers. But they had answers. Their church, their pastors, their leadership, they didn't have answers about the important questions. They would get told to just read your Bible and trust in Jesus. Helpful, isn't it? It's helpful if you want to lead people away from the Lord, but not very helpful if you want to make Christians. 
Basically, what this means is they no longer accept the Bible as an authority in their lives, and they no longer accept Christ as their Savior. We're going to get into more of why that is down the road when we talk, start talking about the universal Christ. That doctrine will scare you. Now, an interesting thing that I discovered um, while I was researching these guys, um, for those of you who, who, who've been around long enough, you know that I'm a young earth creationist, and I'm a very unapologetic young earth creationist. I believe the Bible's true from the very first word. And I didn't come to that from sort of religious viewpoint. I am a science nerd. Nerd. Okay? I will look up research papers. One of my friends was saying that I'll have a good time writing, uh, looking at, uh, reading a research paper, a 35-page research paper on the DNA of a frog. And he's right. I would. I would very much enjoy that. Because I love science. Early on in high school, 7th, 8th grade, I started seeing problems with my science textbooks talking about Darwinian evolution. And when I would bring up these questions, I was basically told to shut up. So I just put it away. And when I became a Christian, what I realized is that the Bible had answers to this. And that the answers that the Bible gave us were much more in line with mainstream science. And now today, one of the great things that I find is that tens of thousands of scientists around the world are walking away from Darwin. Because what they're finding out is through modern research, the Darwinian paradigm is untenable. It doesn't make any sense in the face of modern day science. It doesn't work. But here's one of the things that I did find out. Every one of the leaders in the progressive Christian movement never believed Genesis. That was the first place in the Bible that they began to doubt as young believers, and as leaders and pastors in the church, they never believed in God's account of how we got here. And what they discovered and what they will admit is that because they didn't believe that, they didn't see the reason to need to believe the rest. If that's wrong, then of course the rest of it has problems. Of course the rest of it has errors. Of course the rest of it was just written by men. See, they only believed that creation thing because they were so dumb that that's just how they worked it out. It wasn't God speaking through Moses. Come on. God doesn't speak. That was the first place that they began to doubt. And that opened the door to doubting the rest of it. Psalms 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It goes back to the question I asked you in the beginning. How much authority does this book have in your life? All the devil needs is one open door to walk in and cause problems. In essence, what I would say to this, Christianity is not a journey of happenstance. I'm going to close with this. It is not the result, Christianity is not the result of a prayer spoken at an altar after a moving message. Coming to the altar and saying a prayer of salvation after a moving message does not make you a Christian. That may sound very uncharismatic of me, but it does not make you a Christian. Because you still have to get up (laughs) and you still have to live the rest of your life. That's what makes you a Christian. The prayer is just the beginning. Christianity is a journey of informed, purposeful growth. Can I say that again? Informed, purposeful growth. We choose to live every day of our life in accordance to this word. We choose it. And we do it knowing that it's probably going to get us in trouble. Here we go. 
Every now and then, the trouble's kind of fun. I've thought of taking some, um, some additional classes up at JCC, one specifically associated with Dar- Darwinism and evolution, just so I can sit in the back and ask questions, knowing that I will fail the class. Just to put a seed of truth into the minds of the kids who are in there, I just can't bring myself to do it, uh, probably because it would be mean. I would, I would have a lot of fun, but it would, uh, it would probably end up making me look poorly. Um, so I haven't gotten there yet. But if you find out that I'm taking classes up there, maybe I've changed my mind. Um, we know that speaking the truth is going to get us in trouble. That's happening a lot more today, folks. Some things that we need to know without, without hesitation is what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to be able to explain it to other people. Coming to a building once a week for a couple of hours does not make you a Christian and it will not save your soul. I love this church. Happen to think I'm a pretty good preacher. Music here is good, but coming here does not make you a Christian and it will not save your soul. All we can do is give you the tools you need for that to happen. Singing worship music, listening to K-Love does not save your soul. Seeking or operating in the gifts of the Spirit does not save your soul. See Matthew 7, verses 21-22. We live in a world full of questions and doubt. And as, as Christians, as historic, biblically-based Christians, we need to have answers. And if we're not searching the Scriptures for those answers, we're searching the wrong place. Progressive Christianity can be summed up very simply as a move away That's typically the way I describe it to myself. It's a move away. And that movement away is away from this. It's away from the scriptures. We move away because they're uncomfortable. We move away because they're difficult. They move away because my gay friends are nice. So I can't believe what the Bible says about this. We move away because our kids have adopted a lifestyle that is untenable to God. It's unredeemable to God. We move away because I like drinking myself to the point where I black out. We move away because life is hard when you follow this book. When you follow the map, it gets difficult. Or does it? I actually think it's a lot easier to live according to God's word because I don't have to worry about making anybody happy but him. It's easy to get people mad at you. People are mad at you all the time. Trust me, one more isn't going to matter. As long as they're mad at you for the right reasons. There's no better reason than you're living according to the word of God. So the first issue with progressive Christianity is they devalue the one thing we can never let go of. Think about that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in this place today, Lord. I want to thank you that your word does not leave that you will never forsake that you have given us everything we need to know to understand who you are and how to come to you you've given us everything we need to know how to live this life in a way that is both pleasing to you and that opens up the gates to heaven to us Father I ask that you drill into us a deep an abiding love for your word that we never let it go 
that it always has a place of extreme authority in our life. Help us to know where the line of legalism is. Help us to always default to grace, but also help us to never let go of your truth. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.